Good morning. I know, I know what you're thinking. Bill, what are you doing up here? Where's Pastor John? Is he in good health? And I want to tell you that he is in excellent health. He had a wonderful opportunity this weekend uh, to spend some special time with Kay, with the kids, and with the grandkids. And it doesn't get any better than that, does it? It really doesn't. For you that, for you that are here for the very first time, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to come back next week. <laughs> Pastor John, as all of us know, is a wonderful Bible teacher. He loves the Word of God. And just as Bob came one time and he said, I told him, I said, if you go through those doors, you may be coming back on a regular basis. And Bob has been coming back ever since. So make sure that you come next week. For you that are regular attenders, um, Pastor John called me up. <laughs> I, know, I know what you're thinking. But Pastor John, he called me up and he, and he really had prayer with me. And he really encouraged me, but he wanted me to tell you how much he loves you. <laughs> you. You knew that was coming. And the reason why he loves you is he's, he's compelled by your attendance each week. He's compelled, he's encouraged to get into the Word of God, find out what the Word of God has to say, so that you can apply it to your lives and live it out the rest of the week. Because he wants you to love the Lord with all your heart, he wants you to grow in your walk with Him. And He wants you to live a, really a surrendered life to the Lord. Because He knows that you can have real true joy if you do that. You know, one of our, speaking of love, a person that loved the Lord was a man by the name of Don Seacrest. Remember Don used to sit in the front here and Jeannie once in a while would be out there uh, greeting everyone. Well, Don, this past week, went home to be with the Lord. And this coming Monday at 11 o'clock, Pastor John is going to do the celebration service here. And I know it would be an encouragement to Jeannie and the rest of the family if as many of you possible could show up and be there. There's also another thing that's going on this week. It is called Third Friday. So if you look up here, Third Friday happens just right the day after Valentine's Day. So guys, I hope you've already been out shopping. And it's going to be a special time where we get together. And this world has a lot of different meanings for what the word love actually means. You know, what is true love? So we're going to take a look at it this Friday on what is true love from a biblical perspective. And then we've got two godly couples, two young marrieds, the Slazaks and the Porters, are going to share some of their experiences. And oh, by the way, you may want to come because I've been asked to tell my tuna fish story. So you'll have to come to find out what that tuna fish story is all about. So I, I'd love to see us pack this place out like we did last month. Sherry McDermott came to me. She said, Bill, do you realize that February the 26th, Pastor John's been in the book of Acts for two years. I mean, for two years, he's been going through it. Because she had written it 
in the Bible. Remember we were over at the Yorbalinda Forum? And he started in the book of Acts and we saw Christ and in his ascension. As he's taken us through the first 20 chapters, we still have about eight more chapters to go. We see some footprints there. And the footprints are of the Apostle Paul. A man of God. And today, I thought we would just take for a few minutes, take a look at this man of God who has totally surrendered his life to his Lord. And let's see how he finishes. Does he finish tired and discouraged? Or does he really finish strong for his Lord? Does he really finish strong for his Lord? If you recall, remember when Pastor Pastor John, we have the first mention of Saul of Tarsus, and you don't have to turn there, in Acts the 7th chapter. And you recall Stephen, that entire chapter is preaching a wonderful message on Christ and him crucified. He said, those leaders you have betrayed and you have murdered the righteous one. They begin to stone. They begin to stone Stephen. And in Acts the seventh chapter, verse 58, we have the first mention of Saul of Tarsus. It says, the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul of Tarsus. And then we look at chapter 8, verse 1, and it says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death putting Stephen to death. But something dramatically happened. Have you ever had a major correction in your life? This Saul of Tarsus had a major correction because in Acts the ninth chapter, we find that major correction. And you don't have to turn there. Keep in mind that this Saul of Tarsus was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a well-educated man. He knew the law better than anyone. He was trained by Gamaliel. As to the law, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. As to zeal, he was persecuting the Christians. He was persecuting them. But then comes Acts, the ninth chapter, and his encounter with the risen Savior. The Lord appeared to him. He was on his way north to Damascus to take in some more Christians and drag them to justice that he thought was right. And the Lord said to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And at that time, it says Saul hit the ground. He had seen the risen Savior. And it has transformed his life that's so incredible that an Ananias came. And our Lord said to Ananias, and he's speaking of Paul, He says, this man, my chosen instrument, he's going to bear my name. He's going to bear it to the Gentiles. He is going to bear it to kings. He is going to bear it to the house of Israel. And not only that, Ananias, he is going to suffer for my namesake. Here is a young man going one direction. He had a zeal for killing the Christians. 
And now he's completely transformed because he has seen the risen Savior. And it's touched his life so much for that the next 35 years of his life, he is living a totally surrendered life. This man traveled thousands of miles preaching only Christ and him crucified. What a difference it made in his life. I want you to see some of those journeys. Look at his first missionary journey. He takes off from Jerusalem over here. And then as you, you can follow the purple line, he goes to Cyprus and then over to Lystra. And yes, he has ex- first experience of suffering for the Lord. At Lystra, preaching Christ and crucified, they hated him so much. Remember when Pastor John taught this, that he was stoned. They dragged him out of the city and left him for dead. He gets up and he continues on. Then he goes on a second missionary journey. Look at the second missionary journey. He starts off at Jerusalem. And as you can see, he travels across the Aegean Sea over to Philippi. He's put in jail along with Silas. He is released. He goes to Thessalonica. He only lasts a couple of weeks. They run him out. He goes to Berea. The Thessalonians hated him so much that they followed him to Berea and continued to persecute him. He left there and went to Athens. He preaches on Mars Hill. And then he goes to Corinth. And from Corinth, he goes to Ephesus and back. And then he goes on his third missionary journey. I mean, think of the thousands of miles this man traveled in 35-some years. And he didn't think of himself. In order to supply his need, he didn't want to be a burden to the churches, so he was a tent maker. And he was thinking about the people in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem. They were going through a famine. So what does he do? He's, he encourages in Galatia, in Macedonia, in Achaia. They took up a collection. Remember, Pastor John has been speaking on giving. Paul was, had a surrendered life. And these churches gave out of their heart exactly the way Pastor John has been teaching. Pastor John's been teaching us about the Acts 2 church. In all three of these missionary journeys, he would go to these different places and he would set up Acts 2 churches. People that were continually devoted to the Lord. But now comes the fourth journey. The fourth journey had nothing to do with his own will, but God had a plan for him. It was God's plan that he go to Rome. When we get to the 27th and 28th chapter with Pastor John, we're going to find out that the apostle is on trial before Agrippa and Festus there in Jerusalem. And they find out that he's a Roman citizen, so they take him, and you can see he leaves in the fall of A.D. 60. And he takes a, a ship all the way to Rome, Italy, And he reaches in the spring of A.D. 61. He's put under house arrest and he continues to witness for his Lord. The Caesar at that time of Rome is Nero. He is released. In A.D. 64, Nero, remember, sets fire to Rome. They blame the Christians. In A.D. 67, and here's where we are today, 
In A.D. 67, he's put into the Mamertine prison. He's put into a dungeon. He's alone. It's dark. Only Luke is with him. So many other people have deserted him. So now, this morning, as we turn to 2 Timothy, that's where we are. Turn to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, and verses 1 through 8. And that's the setting. It is the Apostle Paul's last words. He is saying it to a young man by the name of Timothy. Timothy, you would say, is his protege. Some of you that have been walking with the Lord longer, who are you mentoring in the Lord? The Apostle Paul, was he was mentoring this young man by the name of Timothy. And he writes him two letters. He writes 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And he is writing him from this Mamertine prison. As you turn to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, we know the conditions. Because if you look at the 13th verse, he tells Timothy, when you come, Timothy, when you come, bring my cloak. Bring the parchments, the books. He is alone in this prison. And so he writes these closing words to young Timothy. Would they be words of discouragement? Or would they be words of finish strong, Timothy? Finish strong for your Lord. So let's read First Tim, uh, Second Timothy, the fourth chapter, and verses 1 through 8. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will, they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth. And they will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Father, I just thank you for your word and how it gives us understanding. I just pray that you will just teach us today. Father, I just thank you for Don Seacrest, a life that was so well lived. A life well lived for you. And Father, we have the, just the assurance of knowing that he is home with you right now. Be with Jeannie and the rest of the family. I just pray that you'll just come alongside and just comfort them in a special way. Father, be with us now as we try to learn lessons from your, your servant, the Apostle Paul. These things we ask in your son's name. Amen. The last words of a person... I really truly believe helps us to look into his heart. 
and it helps us to evaluate his life. What we are going to see today, we're going to look into the heart of the Apostle Paul. We're going to see his last words in that Mamertine prison. And he's going to challenge young Timothy. Timothy, my death is imminent. You've got to carry on the work. And there's going to be others that's going to carry it on. And he's going to admonish young Timothy in five ways. So let's look at the five ways that he challenges. He charges young Timothy. In verse 1, he says, Young Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, he's saying God is in control. Timothy, in all these three missionary journeys, God was in control. I was through all kinds of dangers. God was in control of my life. And so he says, young Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I, we're in that dungeon and we're saying, oh my goodness, my life is out of control. Paul is saying, God is in control. He's in that dungeon. He has that total surrendered life. He also says, young Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge both the living and the dead. Do you notice in this passage of Scripture there's no mention of Nero? Nero, you're not in control. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ is in total control. He said, in, if you recall in Philippians, in Philippians the second chapter, and in verses 9 through 11, The Apostle Paul was speaking of our Lord. And he said, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of things in heaven, in things in the earth, in things under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Yes, even one day Nero you're going to bow down to the Heavenly Father. The Apostle Paul, he knew he was in the presence of God. He taught the Corinthians. He says, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that he lives within you, and that you are not your own, but you have been bought with a price. So therefore, glorify God in your body. The Apostle Paul knew, even in that dungeon, he could glorify his Savior. Because he knew he was in the presence of God. Months ago, I was called over at Western Med in Santa Ana, and a young boy, only 12 years old, was hit by a truck in his walk, school crosswalk, over at Santa Ana Canyon Road. And it was the first time I got a chance to meet the Mata family. Tanner was in induced coma. 
The surgeons were wonderful over there, but they didn't give Tanner much hope. And I, I was so blessed that I got a chance to meet Tom and Tina and Ava and Kelsey, Dave and Donna. This was a, a family of faith. Tom brought a trailer and they just hooked it up. And many of you would say, well, th- their life is out of control. No, this was a family of faith. They realized that they were in the presence of God. Not only that, there was a godly woman by the name of uh, Sandy that happened to be there in the ICU, one of the members of our church. Praying for Tanner every day, giving Tanner loving care. The surgeons and the nurses were wonderful over there. But we knew we were in the presence of God and God was in control of that situation. Sandy even followed them back to their house and continued to to be there for the family. There was another lady that was on sabbatical. She was from Africa and she worked with young children. She worked with young children. And she was on sabbatical, a fine Christian lady. And she was watching over Tanner. When your life is put on still, and I think all of us go through deep waters, remember God is in control. And Tanner, I still wear this. (laughs) That your dad gave to me at St. Jude Hospital. You be strong, Tanner. All right? Tanner, be strong. So... The Apostle Paul, he knew that God was in control. Number two, he said, even though you're persecuted, you're going to have all kinds of hardships. He says, Timothy, here was the battle cry. Look at verse two. Preach the word. And look what, look what the Apostle Paul went through. He said, preach the word. Paul, I want you to be consistent. I want you to have conviction. I want you to have confidence. Look at verse two. Consistency. He says, Paul says to Timothy, in season, out of season, any time when you're diligent, be ready to preach the word. And he says, do it with conviction. Do it with conviction, Timothy. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. I mean, we might have been beaten just once and said and given up. But he says, you go ahead and continue to reprove and rebuke and exhort, even when they don't want to hear it. And then confidence with patience. Give them doctrine and instruction. Not your own philosophy. But what does the word, what does the word have to say? If you'll just turn to the left, it may be across the page from chapter four. Look at chapter three there. Look at chapter three and verse 14 and 15. Second Timothy three, 14 and 15. Look what he says there. He says, You, however, continue in the things that you have learned and be convinced of them, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He is saying three things to them in those two verses. Number one, he says, young Timothy, You continue, continue in what you have learned. 
Don't stop learning. Don't stop learning. And then he says, don't forget your teachers. Don't forget your teachers. It says, knowing from whom you have learned them. And then number three, Timothy, don't forget your legacy. You've got a legacy. And look at his legacy. And verse 15, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Let's see who that legacy is. Turn back to the chapter 1. Look at chapter 1. 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. And let's see where he got that legacy from. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, Timothy, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Paul is saying, Timothy, don't forget your legacy. Here he had a grandmother. Timothy had a godly grandmother by the name of Lois. He had a godly mother by the name of Eunice. And let me just speak to the ladies just for a minute. You have no idea, ladies, the impact that you can have on your children. You see it here in Lois and Eunice. I know I speak from experience, from, from my childhood. Her name was Etta, my grandmother. And they lived across the street. And I'd go over there and kind of sit at her feet. And she had quote scripture. And she was such a godly woman. And then I had a, my mother, Dorothy. Well, I think we all say that about our mothers. She was just over the top. And she was always there. I was in the junior high choir because she was a junior high choir leader. And I sung duets and, and different things like that with my sister. But two godly women. Ladies, you, you have no idea the impact that you can have on your children. As we see here from Lois and Eunice. He knew, Paul knew that these were tough times. I mean, those three trips, you could tell what tough times there are. And he says, Timothy, I want to warn you. People are not going to want to listen to you. They want you to come over and say something that's going to tickle your ear that really sounds good. And that's one thing I think that we all admire about Pastor John, that he's not going to tell you what you want to hear. He's going to, he's going to say what's in this word. In fact, look at verses 3 and 4. He says, By the time, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to miss. You know, the classic example of that is where you want to hear something is found in the Old Testament. It was during the divided kingdom. King Jehoshaphat was king of Judah and they were set up in Jerusalem. King Ahab was located in Samaria. He was king of Israel. Now, Ahab wanted to go against the north, 
His name was Ramoth Gilead of Syria, and he wanted to go conquer them. He had 400 prophets. Now, these so-called 400 prophets, we would call them yes men. Now, what do you think he wanted to hear? What did Ahab want to hear from these 400 prophets? Well, you're going to have success when you go over to Ramoth and Gilead and you're going to completely destroy them. Now, he did not want to hear from Micaiah. King Jehoshaphat says, hey, you better listen to Micaiah. He knows what he's talking about. He's a prophet of God. And he said, Micaiah comes to Ahab and he says, don't do it. Ramoth Gilead is going to destroy your armies and he's going to take your life. Well, he listened to those 400 yes men. He listened to those 400 yes men. His armies were wiped out and he was destroyed. You know, if somebody is your good friend, they'll tell you the truth, won't they? Sometimes it's not easy, but a good friend will always tell you the truth. So, we come to priority number three. He's he's admonished them. God is in control. Stay in the scriptures. And here's number three. Maintain four fulfilling priorities in your life. Timothy, I want you to maintain four fulfilling priorities in your life. That's found in verse five. Look at verse five. If you have a King James, it says watch. If you have an American standard, it says be sober. What he's saying is, Hey, I want you to stand fast in the faith, Timothy. Don't get discouraged. Stand fast in the faith. Look at the second one in verse 5. Endure hardships. Endure afflictions, it says. Endure hardships. Endure afflictions. Who better can say it than the Apostle Paul? Because he's been there. He says it's going to be some rough times. Endure it. And then he says, the third thing he says there in that verse, 5. Do the work of an evangelist. You know what an evangelist is? He's one who announces the good news. He announces the good news. And I just don't understand why people just can't understand that this is good news that Jesus Christ allows us to have eternal life because of his great love. And he says, Timothy, you tell those good news. Be an evangelist. And then he says, I want you to make full proof of your ministry. Look where it says, fulfill your ministry. Let me ask you this question. He's telling Timothy, Timothy, I want you to fulfill your ministry. And yes, when the the apostle Paul dies at the hands of Nero, Timothy continued on along with other men and women. But Paul's asking Bill, Paul's asking you today, are you fulfilling your ministry that God has called you to be? That we can be a lighthouse. I mean, think about it. We could be a lighthouse to Orange County if all of us were fulfilling our ministries with our gifts. Each one of us have different gifts. And you know that that's Pastor John's desire. That you find a joy in knowing what your gift is. Because he'll give you a joy that's unspeakable. I mean, when you see Dave Thomas up here, 
I mean, I can't even see his eyes. His cheeks are way up here. He's grinning so much because he has found his ministry that God is blessing him in. There's such a joy. Then he goes on and he says, here's here's his fourth admonition. He says, I want you to finish strong. My death is imminent. My death is imminent. But I want you to finish strong. For my life is being offered as a drink offering. My departure is at hand. I've fought the good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness whom the Lord, whom the righteous judge, the Lord, will give to me, but not only to me, but also to those who love his appearing. He knew, if you'll look at verse 6, he knew his life was being offered as a drink offering. Why did he use that as an example? He says, a drink offering. In order to understand that, remember, he was trained by Gamaliel. He knew the Old Testament. He quoted scripture like crazy. He knew the tabernacle worship. There was a brazen altar. This is where they would lay their sacrifices. Then there was a laver, a brass laver, where the priests would wash their hands. And then they would go into the tabernacle, into the most holy place. And then there was a veil that the high priest would go in once a year into the Holy of Holies. But here was a brazen altar. It was fire coming up from under. They would take their lamb, again, picturing the Lord Jesus Christ as a perfect lamb, being sacrificed, and they would lay that sacrificial lamb for their sins. And then they would take the wine, the drink offering, and they would pour it onto that sacrifice. And what would happen? It would go up as steam. It would evaporate. It would disappear. That is exactly what Paul was saying. He says, I have just poured out my life as a drink offering on the sacrifice of Christ. Paul's life would soon disappear and all that could be seen was Christ. My life is a drink offering being poured out, the Apostle Paul is saying. He is saying, Christ, not me, is the one who is to be exalted. He looked at, he could take life and he could take death. He had no fear of death. Look at Philippians 1, 21, 23, and 24. Listen, listen to the words. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For I am in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He The only reason he wanted to stay on this earth was to be able to minister and for them to grow in their faith. Death was a gain, he was saying, because he knew being absent from the body meant to be present with the Lord. We have the assurance of the word of God that Don is at home with the Lord right now. In Christ alone, that, that our praise song that we heard today. It's, if you were listening to those words, there's no fear of death because Christ in me. Did he always feel that way? Listen to Acts 21, 13. For I am ready not to be bound, 
only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had no fear of death. He was living a a surrendered life. As our praise team sung to us today, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Not only did the Lord show his imminent death to Paul, but he showed his imminent death to the Apostle Peter. Because the Apostle Peter is all over the, the book of Acts as well. If you'll turn to 2 Peter 1, 14, you'll recall at the end of Christ's ministry, just before he ascends into heaven, he pulls the Apostle Peter aside and he says, Peter, I'm going to show you how you're going to die. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else who will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then in 2 Peter 1.14, listen to the words of Peter. He knew death was imminent. He says, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Yes, this is the same Apostle Peter that denied our Savior three times. But after he saw the risen Lord was totally living a surrendered life to him. My life is being offered as a drink offering. My departure is at hand. If you look at that word departure, in the Greek, it is analusis. It means, luo means to untie or to unloose. To hoist an anchor or to set sail. Here's what he's saying. My departure is at hand, Timothy. I've been tied down to this harbor called earth. We haven't been anywhere yet. Death is a release for us. Don't look at my execution. I'm like a ship tied to a harbor. When death comes, I'm really going to take off. And I'm going to be with Christ, which will be far better. So he looks at his present. Death is imminent. Then he looks at his past. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Those are past tense words. He had no regrets. He looked back over a life that was well lived. It was a life with purpose. Can we finish our course like the Apostle Paul? Remember Pastor John, he always says, I don't care how you begin. He says, I want you to finish strong, right? I want you to finish strong. Did he always have that feeling? Listen to Acts 20, 24. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself that I might finish my course. I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of this grace. He looked at this Christian life as a race. He loved, 
he loved athletics. They had the Isthmian Games every two years. And if you read his writings, there's a little of an athletic tent to it many times. And if you'll go over to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, he says, seeing that we have such a great cloud of witnesses. And he mentions all the heroes of faith in chapter 11. He says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. He said, young Timothy, my future, my future is great. I've got a reward coming whom the righteous judge will give to me. Young Timothy, was it worth it all? Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. Young Timothy, how about my prison experiences? Five times with 39 stripes, three times beaten with rods. I was stoned in your hometown, Lystra, and left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked in dangers from robbers. I was in dangers from countrymen. I was in dangers from Gentiles. I was in dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers of the sea, dangers among false brethren, in labors and hardship, sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, without food, in cold and exposure. Yes, Timothy, it was worth it all. There is a song, a gospel song, that's very difficult to find. My sister found it for me. And it was one that I sung as a child with my mother. And I'm not going to, you don't have to listen to me singing, but I'm going to say those important words to you. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. I loved trading my sorrows that our praise team sung. I am pressed but not crushed. I'm persecuted, not abandoned. I'm struck down but not destroyed. Though the sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. That's taken from Psalms 30 and verse 5, isn't it? So, with your head bowed, and your eyes closed. I want you to consider this just for a minute. The Apostle Paul closes and he says, he says, I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to preserve you. Here's my questions for you. Who is in control of your life? Just answer that yourself. Who is in control of your life? Are you staying in the Scriptures? Do you share Christ with others? Are you fulfilling your ministry? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this godly example of the Apostle Paul. Father, his great love for you. How that he had surrendered everything for you, Father. I just pray that we'll be an Acts 2 church that just love you with all of our heart that we'll just love other people, that we'll have no other agenda, Father, but just to love and magnify your name and just share the good news of your gospel with those around us. Father, I pray that you'll give each one just a safe trip home 
and bring us back together next week. These things we ask in your son's name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you.